Our sermon text this morning is going to be Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. The Apostle Paul writes, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He is even to subject all things to Himself. The Word of the Lord. Let's pray for a moment. Our Father, we look to You and we ask for Your Holy Spirit to attend the preaching of Your Word And we pray, Father, that we might observe, that we might come to understand, that we might see and enter the kingdom of heaven in ways that please you. We ask all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, as we come to chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, we're coming to the end of probably one of the most extraordinary chapters in all of the Bible. In verses 1 through through 19, we've been treated to basically a question and answer. What is Christianity? And we see in this chapter, Christianity is salvation. It's justification. It's sanctification. And now, as we see, it's we are called citizens of heaven because ultimately, we're going to talk about glorification. We're going to talk about these humble bodies that we're in right now being transformed into bodies that are ready for a heavenly existence, glorification. Uh, We have an interesting contrast taking place from what we studied last week. We saw the enemies of the cross of Christ. And now in verse 20, the first lines of the first words are for our citizenship is in heaven. The enemies of the cross and the citizens of heaven. Those who are enemies of the cross. Remember last week we said those who are enemies of the cross are, we call them antinomians. They fall into a ditch. And the ditch is this. We profess our faith in Christ, but we don't walk according to the law. We profess our faith in Christ, but we don't live according to God's guidelines. And so these are the enemies of the cross. And then the citizens of heaven are different than this. And so listen to the contrast. The enemies of the cross are destined for destruction. Those who are citizens of heaven, they're destined for heaven with Jesus, their Savior. The enemies of the cross are governed and mastered by their appetites or their bellies. The citizens of heaven are mastered by a Savior named Jesus who will come and transform these bodies of ours into a ready, a glorious body in the future. The enemies of the cross of Christ glory in what they should be ashamed of. The, those who are citizens of heaven put no confidence in their flesh. They're pursuing holiness as unto the Lord and they're glorying in Jesus Christ alone. The citizens of, he- of, of uh, the enemies of the cross set their minds on the things that are on the earth. And the citizens of heaven are setting their minds on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. There's a real contrast. Now, why, why is anyone a citizen of heaven? Well, the citizens of heaven, if you're a citizen of heaven, it's because by the grace of God, Philippians 1, 6, it says that God began the good work in you. And God continues the good work that He's begun in you until the day 
of Christ Jesus. And so every citizen of heaven has a day fixed in their hearts. There's the day when Jesus comes that's fixed in every citizen of heaven's heart. We know about the first advent. We always, uh, we were talking the other night in the session meeting about maybe what we might do for Christmas. (laughs) We're thinking about these things and we want to have another one of those great events for Christmas to celebrate the first advent. But there's this second day that's in our hearts. And it's this day when Jesus comes in mighty power. He's going to subject everything to himself. Saving completely, transforming us totally, all by His mighty subjecting power. And so this morning, let me remind you of two things. Number one, you are a citizen of heaven. And number two, you are to anticipate Christ's second coming. Let's look at the first point. You are citizens of heaven. Look at verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven. Now, these, these, this uh, author, Paul, is in Rome. He's 800 miles from Philippi. He's writing to all these Christians in Philippi. Remember, he started this church in Acts chapter 16, and he's writing to all these Christians who are in Philippi. It's really interesting because this is a Roman colony 800 miles from Rome. And so it was a wonderful thing to be a Roman citizen. Remember, Paul was actually born a Roman citizen. And there are many people who paid a great deal or great sums of money to be Roman citizens. To be a Roman citizen, it meant that your name was recorded on the roll in Rome. 800 miles away, your name's written on the roll in Rome. To be a Roman citizen meant that you spoke like a Roman. And you were expected to live like a Roman. And you were expected to call Caesar Savior. Now that's where a lot of Christians started getting in trouble. Because more and more uh, the, the Roman Caesars began to press for full allegiance to them. And Christians would not bow the knee. And there was great persecution and even death. But this Roman colony in Philippi, it's, it's, these guys are so smart. They take the military men retired who are living on pensions, and they move them to Philippi, and they live out the rest of their lives living like Romans, talking like Romans, keeping the Roman custom going, keeping the Roman, what the the language that they spoke, and all the rest. So here in Philippi, we have Rome in a foreign environment. And so the apostle is writing this to these Philippians, and he knows it will have a special appeal to the Philippian church. For they are citizens of Rome, yes. But he's reminding them that they're not just citizens of Rome, but they are citizens of heaven. They are those who have an allegiance to Rome, but they have a higher allegiance to Jesus Christ. And the same thing is true of us today. We live in the United States of America, and we have a dual citizenship. We are people who live in the United States, but we have a higher allegiance to Jesus Christ We are a colony of heaven planted here on this earth. A colony of heaven in a foreign environment, right? We're in the world, but we're not living, we're not of the world. Most of us were born in the good old U.S. of A. And as I, I I think I scratched it out, but I think I'll go ahead and say it. But most of us who have not been born here got here as soon as we could, (laughs) You know, and so it's a great blessing to live in the United States of America. There's the privilege of the Constitution and there's the rule of law and there's there's military. There's military might to keep our enemies at bay. And we have the freedom to worship. 
And even though many of these privileges are eroding before our own eyes, it's a great privilege to be a member of the United States. Our, ro- our names, if you will, on the rolls of the country. But it's even a greater privilege to be a citizen of heaven. It's a greater privilege to call heaven your home while you're on this earth. And the only reason that you have become a citizen of heaven is because heaven has come down to you. I want to take you to John chapter 3. Don't turn there. I'll just tell you what's there. But remember, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, it was dark. It was dark 30. And not only is he in the dark, but he's spiritually in the dark because he can't see and he can't even enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus looks at him and says, Nicodemus, man in the actual dark and in the spiritual dark, you must be born again. What does that mean? Well, the word again means from the top. It means from heaven. It means from above. You've got to be born new. Well, do I need to enter into my mother's womb and be born over again? No, no, that's physical. This is something from the top. This is something by the Spirit. The Spirit of God blows like the wind, working sovereignly where and where He will. And the Spirit of God, He must convince this Nicodemus that he's a sinner and he needs a Savior. And he does. We see at the very end, a few weeks ago, we had a wonderful sermon where uh, we were taught about Nicodemus and how he came to Jesus with 75 pounds, $200,000 worth of perfume or, or, or spices. He did come. And the question we have to ask ourselves today is, have I entered the kingdom of heaven? Do I have legs, spiritual legs, to enter the kingdom of heaven? Do I have spiritual eyes and do I see my sin in need of a Savior? And have I been changed at the level of my heart? Every citizen of heaven has been born from heaven. Every citizen of heaven has their name written on the roll in heaven. Every citizen of heaven has been, has, is called the ch- a child of God, John 1.12. Being a child of heaven or a citizen of heaven, it means that you and I were no longer under the rule, as we said, of our own bellies or appetites, but we're under the rule of Jesus Christ. And I would ask you to think about one thing before we move on. What does success look like as a citizen of heaven? I'll just take you to Joseph. Joseph, what happens to Joseph? Joseph's got a woman, Mrs. Potiphar. She tries to get him to to do something immoral, and he says no. And what happens? He's falsely accused. He's put in a prison. That doesn't look like success. That doesn't look very successful. Where's the man of God? Well, he's in prison. But you know what the Bible says about the man in prison? It says the Lord's with him. Friend, listen to me. Listen to me. Success looks like this. Success looks like a man in prison obeying God. Much better to be there with God's face on him than to be outside the prison with God's frown upon him in the wrong bedroom. True, right? That's what success looks like. Sometimes insignificant, but the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord is with all of us. Listen, we walk according to the word of God. We don't walk according to the words of the world. That's what success looked like. Being a citizen of heaven means sometimes, if you ever ask this question, is it really profitable to be a person who's pure in heart? If you have ever heard that question in your own mind, am I doing all of this in vain or is it really profitable to be a person who's really sincere about being pure in heart? 
That's what the psalmist asked in Psalm 73. Now, he gives a summary statement, verse 1. He says this, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now, that is the truth. That's what he knows. But let him, let him go further. He said, let me tell you some of the, my, my driftings. Let me some, tell you some of my meditations. But as for me, this man of God says, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Have you ever thought about, hey, you know, those guys, look, those guys. <laughs> you know what? You go read this chapter. These guys are, have plenty. These guys die pain-free lives, they pain-free deaths. These guys have prosperity. They're trouble-free, plague-free. They wear garments of violence. They break the sixth commandment with no chastisement. They have minds full of in, full of uh, full of in, uh, impure imaginations. They break the seventh commandment. Nobody's chastising them. They break the first commandment. They say things like this: "How does he know? How does God know?" They're 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 condemning or they're redefining God's omniscience. How does God know? This is what the wicked say. And they seem to be so happy, (laughs) happy, pleasant. Are we not tempted to think this? We're being told in our passage to follow the apostle's example. The apostle tells us, I'm following Jesus. The apostle tells us to to follow Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we're supposed to follow godly people in this, this very room right here. Is it for nothing? I mean, look, I look at my life every time I go out and I go violating, thinking the wrong thing on the Sixth Commandment, having a little anger, chastisement. If I go out and I start thinking impure thoughts, chastisement. If I go out and start thinking the wrong thoughts about God, God prunes me, God works on me. It's like I'm living a plague-filled life sometimes. Okay, well, let's see what he says here. What happens about the time... About the time you're going to say the wrong thing, let me tell you what happens to you. Come to church, <laughs> you hear the word of God in your mind, your brain gets set to right. That's what he says. Listen to this. Nothing new under the sun. Verse 16, Psalm 73. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God, till I came to church. When I came to church, then I perceived therein, you, O Lord, set their feet in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. You utterly swept them away. Their end is destruction. When he came to church, he got his brain set to right. He reoriented. His life was reoriented. I understand they're on a slippery spot. They're going to destruction. But as for me, the nearness of God being pure in heart is my good. But as for me, I desire only you, for you are gracious and on and on. It is profitable to be pure in heart. Citizens of heaven, it means that you are, listen, it means that you will exercise your spiritual lungs. You know what that means, don't you? It means you're going to pray. Let me tell you why you're going to pray. Because you're in a canoe. And you're going up a stream and the stream is rushing down and it's pushing you back. And you're going up the stream. You're going against the stream and the current of the world. And so many perplexing things are going to be on your mind. So many fears, so many imaginations that fill your mind. And you're going to be driven to your knees to pray. 
talk to God and cast all your cares on Jesus Christ because he cares for you and you will find the rest that you need in your prayer. Being a citizen of heaven, it means that you're a stranger and a pilgrim in this earth. Think about it like this. Here we are, we're paddling our canoes and we're going up against the stream of the world. And, you know, we come out of, go out to that road out there and then come into this place. I, I'm, I'm keep reminding myself when I was growing up, I was at Tyler Junior College. My dad was in uh, class and I, I was telling the men the other day that my dad's the right-hand part of his suit was always yellow with chalk dust. And so if you stand in the hall, you can talk about chit-chat. If you stand in the hall, you can talk about guns, you can talk about fishing, you can talk about hunting, talk about sports. But if you walk into John Week's classroom, you talk about math. He's not going to talk about sports, hunting, and all that. He's going to, you're going to be on a board doing you know, problems. And the same thing is true. You and I were strangers in this world and we come from outside into this place and we begin to talk about the language of heaven. That's what we're learning every time we're with God's people. We're learning the language of heaven. Being a citizen of heaven, it means that Jesus has come from heaven to earth. He comes to live a perfect life. He goes through the cross and on the cross He prepares a place for you and one day He will come to take you back there to be with Him. He says in John 14, where he is now. It also means that we have to deal with, and we were just talking about this just a moment ago. Loved ones are already in heaven before us, and they're waiting upon us. But until then, when Jesus comes to take us to be with him, being a citizen of heaven means perseverance. It means living on this earth as a colony of heaven here on the earth. And we have the joy of doing what we're doing right now we have the joy of taking the gospel to others as we leave. That's the first point. You are a citizen of heaven. Second point, you are anticipating Christ's second coming. Let me read to you verse 20 again. In verse 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. So if you've been born of heaven and now you're a citizen of heaven, it means that one commentator put it like this, you're a watcher for Jesus who comes from heaven. You're a watcher. You're watching for him. We celebrate Christmas. We celebrate his first coming. And now we celebrate and look, or we look forward to his second coming. You and I are to anticipate first our own transformation at Christ's second coming. We are told in our passage that we will be transformed from the body of our humble state or condition into the conformity with the body of Jesus' glory. These bodies of ours are simply not fit for a heavenly existence. Our bodies are going to be refashioned into something grand. These bodies, because of the fall, are fallen to sin. These bodies are so limited. I, I, I would read to you all this, but it would take too much time. But one of the things about um, the, the, one of the men on the, uh, in the Navy, I think it's, I can't think of what grade he is, but he's the, he's the guy who's over a certain group of men. I can't think of the name right now. And uh, they say that this man can lift up buildings and walk underneath them. That's who this guy is to these people on this na- in the navy on the navy. But that's what we're like sometimes. 
and the next minute we may not be able to get out of bed. We live in these earthly bodies, and because of the fall, we're limited. Think about Bo Jackson. Some of you guys don't know Bo Jackson. Bo knows sports. Bo knows everything. If you know about Bo Jackson, let me tell you a little story about Bo Jackson. He did something supernatural one day. (laughs) He went and caught a ball in the center field. He caught it. He's running. He's a world-class sprinter. He's running toward the wall. And he's got a chance, a choice to make. Do I run into the wall or what do I do? Well, Bo Jackson, because he's Bo Jackson, he runs across the wall sideways for three or four steps. He looks like, he looks like he's Jesus walking on the side of the wall or something. And then the baseball game continues. The pitcher's pitching. The batter's batting. The ump is umping. And... They forget about the game and all they do is show reruns of what Bo Jackson did during the game. Supernatural. And then a few months later, Bo Jackson broke the head of his femur in a football game because he played football and that ended Bo Jackson's career. One day we're lifting up a house and walking underneath the next day we can't get out of bed. That's what our lives are like. Because of man's fall into sin, we are not just physically weak, but we constantly have to carry around this flesh with us. And so Galatians 5.17 says this, Our flesh, it sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit sets its desire against the flesh, for they are in opposition to one another. So until the day of the Lord, you and I were going to experience a sort of schizophrenia. We have the Spirit of God working in us, And I preached this sermon on uh, uh, Friday night to Grant. And I said, you have the spirit of power and love and discipline in you. We have this spirit. But at the same time, we have this flesh in us. And so there's this dogfight going on between the two. And you and I, Jesus is telling us that we cannot make any provision for this flesh. We must, let me put it in these words. You must smother your flesh every single day. Let me tell you how to smother it. Smother it by doing what you're doing right now. Smother it by being in worship. Smother it by being in fellowship out here, out to eat here in a few minutes. Smother it in prayer. Smother it by reading the Bible. Smother it by coming and being in men's groups and women's groups. Smother it. Don't give it any room. But this thing is there. And, you know, if our flesh gets the upper hand, smother it with confession of sin. But smother it. You and I... In the midst of our weakness, human physical weakness and spiritual dealing with this flesh, at the same time are to anticipate this transformation. When Jesus returns, these these lowly human bodies of ours will be transformed into something like his glorious body. Everything will give way to him. If we have departed this earth in death and our bodies are buried in the ground They are perishing in the ground. But we're told that those who die and are perishing in the ground, that when Jesus comes, those bodies, those perishable bodies, will put on the imperishable. If you and I are alive and remain when Jesus comes, these mortal bodies with all their weakness and all this schizophrenia are going to be putting on immortality. So whether we're dead or whether we're alive, we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15. You and I, listen, let me, here's a question I'm always asked when I was in the gym. Mark, Mark, um, when, when, when we're in heaven, will we know each other? Absolutely. 
We're going to know each other. Here's how I wrote it in my, 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 my sermon. The anticipated transformation will be continuous with our humble bodies. Continuous in, 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 uh, in other words, you're going to know each other. When Jesus came back, did they know him? They sure did. They knew him. They saw his hands. They saw his feet. They saw his side. Now, I believe that when you are in your new state, you won't have any, any hurts. <laughs> no hurts, Sandy. No pains. None. No scars. If you've kind of bent over, if your left tricep doesn't work like my left tricep doesn't work, it's going to be working perfect in heaven. No scars. But, but there's an interesting thing about the fact in Jesus' body we see his scars. And why do we see his scars? I think we see his scars all throughout eternity to show us what he did for us so that we might be there with him. So this body of ours is going to be transformed. People try to figure out what does this look like? What does this mean? Calvin has said, let me, let me try to get to it. He says, think about Jesus being transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. There's Peter, James, and John up there. And his clothes go white like a launderer could never whiten. And the sun, it's like the sun coming out of his pores. And then Calvin says, but even this can't be as good as what it's going to be. Because that was before his resurrection. We can't know. It will be incomprehensible. But this lowly body of ours with all its frailties and all its failing strength and failing eyesight, failing eyesight, subject to death, no more. No more death. Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago and the Bible promises us that we will follow Him with our resurrection from the dead. We will come after our captain. We will come as the rank and file behind our captain with our own resurrection from the dead. Death will no longer be powerful over us. And this old flesh that we carry around with us that slows us down, that slows me down from running as fast as I would towards the will of God, it will be gone. No more hacking our agags to death. No more. No more dealing with flesh. No more dealing with this sin. Total transformation. I can't even take it in. This body of mine and this soul of mine will be one unit. Always wanting the same exact thing. Can you imagine that? Does sometimes your body want to pull you down? Does your body like say, you know, if we think about your flesh. You know what your flesh would be doing right now if you had your way? Sitting in front of the TV. Right? Binge watching. <laughs> we, 20 years ago, nobody knew what that was. <laughs> we'll have a body and a soul united to do one thing. No sin. Please God. All the rest of our existence. Well, first of all, we anticipate transformation. Second, we anticipate a Savior at the second coming. This is really good. I want to be transformed, but let me tell you what I want the most. I want the transformer. I like the benefits. And I like, one, one guy in, in Grand Rapids told my wife and I, I like the bennies. I had to say, what, what, what are you talking about, the bennies? He said, you know, the benefits, the benefits. Well, I like the benefits, and we like the blessings, but I want the one who's doing it. I want the one who's giving the benefits and the blessings. I want the transformer. 
He's the one. So all during these years that we have, we have a person in the pulpit or we read our Bibles and we see Jesus in the Old Testament. We get glimpses of him. We get glimpses of him, our king, glimpses of the kingdom, glimpses of him and Joseph, glimpses, glimpses of him and David, glimpses of him and Solomon. Then we turn to the New Testament. We see Jesus doing things. We see Jesus sitting and reigning and ruling and talking and sharing. And we see what he does for us on the cross. And then he's going to come. We're going to see him not by with the eyes of faith. We're going to get to see him face to face. Who is this person that's coming? He is the person who's explained himself to you. He's the person who's shown his, his love to you. He's brought you out of your misery in your sin and in your guilt. He's brought you into grace. He's delivered you and he's brought you into being those who are grateful for a wonderful salvation. This is the one who's been raising you up from one difficulty after the next, who's come to you and cared for you when you're sick, who's come to you and cared for you when you've been really, really discouraged and down. This is the one we're talking about. He has been your supreme attraction. When he comes, I'm glad for the transformation, but I want the transformer. You know, um, I, I always remember this. What do we men want? Do you want a picture of your wife or do you want your wife? Men, you with me? Now, I like looking at my wife in a picture. But I would rather have her hair and her lips and her hands. I'd rather have her. I want him. Citizen of heaven, anticipate the Savior. What about if you're not a citizen of heaven? Jesus comes and he transforms us. Jesus comes and we get him. But what if you're not a citizen of heaven? He comes as a judge. We could only tremble if we're not a citizen of heaven. But until this day when he comes as judge and transformer of those who are citizens already from heaven by the power of his spirit, until that day, he's still here to save. On that day, separation, sheep and goats separated, uh, good, good fish and bad fish separated. But on these days, even now, he's still here as a savior and you can call on him. Well, one final thing. Anticipate your transformation. Anticipate your Savior. What guarantee do I have that He's going to do all of that? Power. There's some power out there that we don't have a clue about. There's some power. Look at verse 21. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His, glo of his glory by the exertion of the power? that he is even to subject all things to himself. There's three words there that talk about power. Exertion, power, and sub subjection. Paul has wonderful ways. I mean, sometimes you get tired of so many ways he says the same thing. <laughs> boom, 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 words. Exertion, power, subjection. Let's take the second word first. Dunamis is power. And so when you think about dunamis, we get our English word dynamite. We have a stick of dynamite and, you, you know, you watch these Westerns and you know what? If you light a stick of dynamite and throw it out, and it blows a wall, something up, right? But a, a dynamite stick can't do anything unless it's detonated. And that's the first word. So you got power, you got dynamite. And the first word is exertion. And exertion means lighting the stick of dynamite. Exertion means detonating that dynamite. And then once the dynamite is detonated, it subjects everything to it that's close to it, right? In a certain radius, 
it will maybe burst your eardrums. It may knock you to the ground. What power are we talking about? We're talking about the power of Jesus. The guarantee that he's coming, the guarantee that he's going to transform us is because he comes full of dynamite. He comes with the detonator. He detonates it and subjects everything to him. Everything. Everything will be subject to him. The same power that was unleashed to save you from the penalty of your sin. The same power that was unleashed to save you from the power of your sin. When Jesus comes on this day, there will be power to transform this body that we're in into a brand new kind of a body. A body fit for a heavenly existence. According to 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and 20 through 28, Christ reigns now. He's putting all his enemies under his feet, subjecting them, if you will. He's putting his feet on their necks. Under his feet. In the end, he abolishes death. Death will be no more. We will be transformed by his mighty power. This is the guarantee that all this we've just said will happen. So are you a citizen of... Of heaven, Am I born from above? Am I anticipating Jesus himself and what he will do by his mighty power? Will I, am I ready to bow the knee and confess, my, confess Jesus Christ is Lord? Well, as we turn our attention from the sermon uh, to the Lord's Supper, let me read to you the words of institution as we begin to move to the Lord's Supper. Jesus is speaking here. In Matthew 26, 26 through 30. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it all, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Verse 30. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is exactly what we do. And then we've, as we've just read, that Jesus offers the bread and the wine to his disciples. And as we've just heard in a sermon, his disciples are called citizens of heaven. Citizens born from above, citizens who wait for Jesus' return, citizens who wait for their transformation from above, you and I prepare for that day by eating today. Are you a citizen of heaven? Everyone who's a citizen of heaven is welcome to this table. Have you professed your faith in Jesus Christ in a church like this or in another church like this? Have you been baptized? And are you accountable to a session of elders who are keeping watch over your souls? Then you are welcome to this table. But if you don't know what we're doing, I would ask that you think about the sermon and participate. Let the trays pass, but participate by thinking about what we've heard. Have I been cleansed of my sin by the power of God through the gospel? Have I had a heart change? then that's the way you would participate today by thinking about becoming or entering into the kingdom of heaven and seeing it with faith. So we would prepare for you to take the supper with us later on. Now, dear citizen of heaven, 
the apostle of Jesus Christ also bids that we examine ourselves and make sure that we're ready to eat in a worthy manner. Now, let me just say four things. Eating and drinking in a worthy manner means I turn away from my sin. It means I put my faith in Jesus. It means I'm seeking to lead a holy life. And I'm loving the person sitting next to me. <laughs> I heard somebody say, I love you, man. Right? Am I, am I a Christian? And do I need Jesus Christ? And do I love his people? If that's you, if that's you, Jesus says, come and eat. Jesus says, come and drink. Be refreshed spiritually. Take the grace being offered to you and be encouraged and be refreshed. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this, this morning and what a glory it is to be with your people. And even as we said this past Friday night, it's a glorious thing to see a man be ordained on a Friday night. But we have to say it's a much more glorious thing to come to you on your day. Worship you with your people. Go through a liturgy that comes right off of the pages of your word. Rehearsing every part of your truth in our lives. We thank you for making us citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We pray, Father, that we would come and we would be nourished spiritually in our hearts. That we would feed on the Lord Jesus Christ as he hands himself to us in the bread and the wine. And that we would be strengthened and encouraged. We pray that you will take these elements and set them apart from their common to sacred use. For the good of your people and for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.